Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 7, and we've been studying through the book of Leviticus on Wednesday nights. We've been taking one chapter at a time, and we are, this is our seventh week in the book of Leviticus, and we are in chapter 7. And uh, if you remember, uh, in this in last chapter, chapter 6, and in this chapter, both of those, we find a review of the offerings. So the first five chapters of the book of, Levit- of Leviticus uh, we find the, the five offerings that are outlined in chapter 1. We have the burnt offering. In chapter 2, we have the meat offering. In chapter 3, we have the peace offering. In chapter 4, we have the sin offering. In chapter 5, we have the trespass offering. And then in chapter 6 and chapter 7, you kind of review all of those offerings. But then uh, you also, in this chapter specifically, you get some additional instructions uh, for the offering. So in, in this chapter, chapter 7, kind of closes down the first section of the book of Leviticus. So the first section of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 7, are focused on the offerings. In chapter 8, we'll begin a new, uh, a new section, which is going to deal more with the priest and the priesthood. And in fact, at the end of this chapter, the focus kind of shifts towards that. Uh, but much of what uh, this chapter deals with is things that we've already covered in previous sermons. So I'm not going to go, uh, there's going to be parts of this chapter we're just going to read through and we're just not going to cover them because we've already covered them. Uh, tonight I want to highlight uh, that which we have not yet covered uh, about the sacrifices as we kind of finish up this section here. And I, I want to just teach the new material in regards to the sacrifices found in the chapter, but we will go through the entire chapter and, and, and read it. If you look there at Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible says this, likewise, this is the law of the trespass offerings. Remember, we're going, he's going through and reviewing uh, the offerings and adding some additional information. And he begins here, this chapter, by adding uh, info in regards to the trespass offering. He says, likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. I want you to notice uh, the last phrase of chapter number 1, it is most holy. He says, it is most holy. The trespass offering is most holy. Verses 2 through 5 are things that we've already covered. It says, in the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall be sprinkled right about upon the altar. And he shall offer it, all the fat thereof, the rump, and the fat that covered the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, uh, which is by the flanks, and the call that is above the liver. With the kidneys it shall, it shall he take away, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is uh, a trespass offering. Notice verse 6. Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten. I want you to notice what it says. In the holy place. It shall be eaten in the holy place. Now the holy place there is referring to the tabernacle. Is the place of separation, is that tabernacle that they built. And this is the new material that we're getting about the trespass offering, is that it was to be eaten right then and there, in the holy place. But I want you to notice the last phrase of verse 6, it is most holy. So in, in, in verse 1, we're told the trespass offering, it is most holy. In verse 6, we're told that the trespass offering is to be eaten in the holy place. And you say, why would we eat it in the holy place? Because of the fact that the holy place or the tabernacle also it is most holy. Verse 7 tells us that this applies to not just the trespass offering, but the sin offering as well. Notice verse 7. And the sin offering, and uh, excuse me, as the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. And if you remember, those, are, those two offerings are almost the same offering. They're very similar. So he's telling us this, is, this applies to both. But here's what I want you to understand. 
something we can learn uh, from this uh, from this uh, part of, of the chapter is we get a lesson about the tabernacle or a picture about the tabernacle. And what we learn is this: what you keep, uh, you, you you keep what is holy in the holy place. So he says the trespass offering and the sin offering, they are holy. And then he says, I want you to eat them in the holy place. But I want you to notice there were certain things that were not to stay in the holy place, in the tabernacle. In fact, just flip back uh, to Leviticus chapter 6 and look at verse number 11 just to give you one example. Not everything, not everything that was sacrificed was kept or, or, or that had to do with the sacrifices was kept in the tabernacle, in the holy place. If you look at uh, Leviticus 6.11, it says this, and he shall put off his garments and put on other garments, uh, talking about the priestly garments that he was to wear, and carry forth the ashes, notice, without the camp, unto a clean place. So the ashes were not supposed to stay in the holy place. Why? Because they were not holy. So he says, hey, there are certain things that you eat, you partake of in the holy place. You say, why is that? It's because it is holy. And there are certain things that you have to go and remove from the holy place without the camp because they're not holy. And there's a principle here that you are to keep the holy with the holy and remove that which is unclean or unholy from the place that is holy. Now, again, what he's talking about is the tabernacle, is that holy place. But keep your place there in Leviticus. That's obviously our text for tonight. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter number 6. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, and look at verse number 19. And when you get to 1 Corinthians 6, uh, put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something, keep your place in 1 Corinthians 6. So we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look at verse number 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look at verse number 19. The Bible says this, What? Know ye not that your body, notice what it says, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, what is that temple? That's the holy place. And if you, and if you remember... The tabernacle, the tabernacle was the place that God had Moses built. It was a tent. It was portable because of the fact that they were still wandering in the wilderness. They had to be able to pick it up and move it as they went. Eventually, the tabernacle was replaced with the temple. Solomon built a temple, which was a physical building that basically replaced the tabernacle. That became the holy place. But in the New Testament, the Bible says that your body is the temple is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. And you say, well, what's the principle that we can learn from it? Here's the principle. The holy place, the tabernacle, was to stay clean. Only that which was holy was allowed. The ashes were to be taken out. The ashes had to be taken out of the holy place because God wanted his holy place to be clean. But today, the holy place is you. The holy place is your body. And listen to me, it does matter. And I realize we preach these things and we say these things and people just say, they roll their eyes and say, ah, oh, that's just Pastor Jimenez. That's just, you know, they just go, going, you know, just crazy, lunatic, you know, extremist. But listen to me, it does matter what you bring in to your holy place through your eyes. Amen. It does matter what you bring into your holy place through what you drink. 
and what you eat and what you allow in through your ears. It does matter that you, uh, that you make sure that we are to keep our temple holy. What we can learn from this is that in the Old Testament, God cared about the fact that the holy place was to be clean, it was to be holy, it was to be separated, and you are to be as well. I mean, the, the, the apostle said we can only uh, speak the things which we have seen and heard. And today, and look, we're talking about the television. In case you don't understand what I'm talking, even when I say that, the television. All right. Your TV at home. When you turn that thing on and there are women dressed immodestly, that is not holy. When they are blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not holy. When they are uh, uh, promoting drugs and alcohol, that is not holy. And God does not want you to allow that into the holy place, into the temple, which is your body. We need to be and live like separated people. And today we have a problem, even in our independent, fundamental, you know, separated churches where people just want to live like the devil and live like the world. And then they, they get mad at a pastor like me for actually teaching and preaching the Bible. For actually believing the word of God and actually holding up the standards of the Bible. And they're like, well, I can't believe you would do that. Hey, look, you can't call yourself a biblicist and then not follow the Bible. When the Bible says that certain things are, are sinful, it's adultery, it's fornication, it's drunkenness. Look, you say, well, I've got a drinking problem. I'm an alcoholic. No, you're a drunk. And you need, to clean your, you need to clean that up. The temple ought not be a place where you allow the filth of the world to come in. Some of you need to go home and throw that TV out the window. Because you're allowing the sins of the world and the, the filthiness of the world to come in. And it does matter what you expose your children to. It does matter what you ex- allow your, your spouse to be exposed to. All of those things matter. And what we learn from this passage is that God cared very much that the tabernacle was a holy place. That it was cleaned up. He said, hey, eat it right there. Eat it right there in the holy place. Why, God? Because it's holy. And I want the holy eaten in the holy place. And that which is not holy, take it out. And then today, God says, and God looks at you and I and says, you you are supposed to be holy. You are supposed to be clean. You bring that which is holy in. Don't don't fight that which is holy. I'll get up and preach. You know, like last week in Leviticus 6, we're talking about dress standards and what the Bible teaches about women not wearing pants. And here's and here's what all, you know, uh, the common thing. Well, I just don't I just don't think that, you know, that's just not a stand that I've chosen to take. Why? Why is it not from the word of God? Is that not is that not what the Bible says? Look, if it's holy, then eat it right then. If it's holy, then consume it right now. He said, hey, the trespass offering is holy. And God says, you're in the holy place, so let's consume it. Look, if the Bible says it, you got to just make a rule in your life. If the Bible says it, I'm going to do it. If the Bible says it, whether I was doing it before, whether I understood it before, whether I thought it was what we were supposed to do before, once it's clear that it's holy, that it's true, that it's right, that's what I'm going to do. It's not your house. It's God's house. Notice what he says, verse 20. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. It's not, ladies, it's not how you want to dress. It's how does, how does God want you to dress. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. It's my body. Don't I get to do what I want? No, no, which are God's, which belongs to God. So first thing we see is this lesson of the tabernacle. What's the lesson of the tabernacle? If it's right, bring it in. If it's not right, take it out. It's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. If it's right, bring it in. 
If the preaching is right, look, if it's right to go soul winning, then go soul winning. Just consume it right there. Well, you don't understand. No, 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 don't give the excuses. Just figure out how to do it. If it's right to live separated, if it's right to tithe, if it's right to go to church, if it's right, look, if it's right, if it's holy, if it's clean, consume it. If it's not, take it out. That's the Christian life. Figure it out right there. You don't need a Bible college degree to figure that one out. If it's good, bring it in. If it's bad, take it out. That's basically it. That's the lesson of the tabernacle. Go back to Leviticus 7. Let me give you one more. Leviticus chapter 7. Look at verse 8. Not only do we see the picture of the tabernacle, but we also see a picture here of the skin coverings. This is additional information, things we did not see in chapter 1 when we're talking about the burnt offering. Look at verse 8. Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 8. And the priest that offereth any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to himself the skin of the burnt offering which he hath offered. Now, we didn't see this when we were looking at the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1, but in Leviticus chapter 7, we're given additional information, and it's specifically additional information to the priests, and we're told that the priests were allowed to keep the skin of the burnt offering. Now, the skin uh, represents something. It's an important aspect of the offering, and let me show you where that comes back to. Uh, go, go back to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3, first book in the Bible, should be fairly easy to find. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 7. Genesis chapter number 3, verse 7. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Genesis 3, 7, notice what the Bible says. This is, of course, the story of Adam and Eve. When man fell, notice verse 7, in the eyes of them, that's Adam and Eve, both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And, notice what they did, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they realized their eyes were open, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized they were naked, so they attempted to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves an apron. Notice verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walk in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now, now, now skip down to verse number 21. So one of, the, one of the results of them eating and disobeying is the fact that they realized they were naked, trying to hide themselves. Of course, God goes through and gives them all their punishments and everything. But look at verse 21. I want you to notice what God did. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife, notice what the Bible says, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. See, they tried to clothe themselves by sewing fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, an apron doesn't sound very modest if that's all you're wearing. You know what I mean? And here, God says, that's not going to work. You going out and, and, and sewing your own fig leaf, that, that's not going to work. He said, I'm going to have to cover you up. And the Bible says that the Lord God made them coats of skins. Now, listen to me. In order to take the skin off an animal, that animal had to die. This is probably the first animal that ever died in the world, this is the Garden of Eden. No one's died. Everything's been good. Adam and Eve just sinned. 
And immediately, God gives us a picture through a sacrifice where he's basically explaining to Adam, as a result of your sin, what's going to have to happen is that you are going to need a covering. You are going to need somebody to die in your place. And God takes an animal and takes his life and rips the skin off and makes a coat and puts the coat around Adam and puts the coat around Eve and he covers them up. Go to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number three. If you kept your place in 1 Corinthians, continue to keep your place there in 1 Corinthians, but if you kept your place there, uh, uh, Galatians is just one book uh, past 1 and 2 Corinthians. You got 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter number three, and look at verse number 27. Galatians chapter three and verse 27. Notice what the Bible says, Galatians three twenty-seven. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Now that baptism there is not talking about being water baptized in the water. He's talking about being baptized into Christ. Okay, the picture of baptism, the picture of water baptism, one of the pictures, not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but one of the pictures is that you get baptized into Christ. You get baptized into the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, notice what it says, have put on Christ. See, today you got people who are trying to work their way to heaven, they're trying to make, they, they realize they're naked, right? They realize their sin is apparent to them, but they think, well, I'm just going to go out and get some figs, and I'm going to sew that thing myself, and I'm going to cover myself up. But look, God says, whatever you can make to cover up your sins is not good enough. He said, what, what, what we need is the shedding of blood. What we need is a sacrificial lamb. What we need is to be able to take the skins of Christ and put them on you. That's why he says, Galatians 3.27, have put on Christ. See, what saves you is the fact that when you got saved, you didn't cover yourself up, but Christ covered you. You are covered in the life of Christ. We are in Christ is what the Bible says. The reason you get to go to heaven is because when you die and when I die, when we stand before God, God doesn't see you and God doesn't see me. God sees Christ who covers us. That's salvation. Salvation is not figs that you sowed and, well, look at how great I did. Your works will never cover you up. They're like trying to hide your nakedness with apron. Just don't ever turn around, you know. They'll never get it fully covered. It'll never completely work. An animal in Adam and Eve's day had to die, had to be sacrificed. A picture of Christ and the fact that his skin, that he, that he would cover us, that we would put on Christ, that we would be in Christ. And that is what salvation is. So in Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 8, as a throwback to that idea, God says, hey, don't forget, don't forget, Take the skin. Take that skin. That's a picture there. What's that picture of? It's a picture of the fact that I made coats of skins to clothe Adam and Eve. Go back to Leviticus chapter 7. Look at verse 9. Leviticus chapter 7. Verse 9. Let me give you some more information that we find in this chapter. Leviticus 7, 9 says, And all the meat offering that is bacon in the oven, and all that is dressed in the frying pan, and in the pan shall be the priest that offereth it. So we already talked about the meat offering. And remember, when you brought the meat offering, you got two options. You could bring it cooked, or you could bring the ingredients. Both were fine. Here we're told that when you bring it cooked, then it shall be the priest that offereth it. Whatever the priest that's offering that, he gets to eat that right then and there. Probably because it's holy. And you should consume whatever's holy. But look at verse 10. And every meat offering mingled with oil and dry 
shall all the sons of Aaron have as uh, have one as much as another. So here he's just telling us just additional information, saying if someone brings a meat offering but they don't bring it, it's not cooked yet. It's it's just the ingredients. Then you split that between all the priests because remember this is how they got paid. But if someone brought it cooked already, then the priest that was performing the sacrifice, he could eat it right then and there. It's just additional instructions about the offering. Look at verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offering. So now he's going to get into uh, the peace offering, which he shall offer unto the Lord. And if he offer it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mingled with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil and cakes mingled with oil and fine flour uh, fried. Now, I I want you to notice this, okay? Look at verse 12 again. If he offer it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Notice this. Unleavened cake. Now, doesn't that sound normal? Aren't most of the sacrifices? In fact, all of the sacrifices up to this point, aren't they all unleavened cakes? It's always unleavened. Notice, unleavened cakes mingled with oil. And unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And cakes mingled with oil. And fine flour and fried. And we get that. Even our Lord's Supper that we take is unleavened cakes. Notice verse 13, though. Besides the cakes, so he says, you know, apart from that, because if if you remember back when we were talking about the peace offering and and these types of offerings, what, what does leaven represent? Do you remember that? Leaven represents what? Sin. So these cakes had to be unleavened because they pictured Christ, who was without sin. The, the, the equivalent of that for, a, for an animal sacrifice was that it was to be unblemished. No spot or blemish. Why? Because Christ is unblemished. Because he's without. So the unleavened cakes and the unblemished animals all represent a Christ who is without sin. But I want you to notice verse 13. Besides the cakes, besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering, notice this, leaven cake, leaven bread. With the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. So he says, I want you to bring the unleavened cakes, but let me give you some additional instructions, some additional information. Besides those cakes, I also want you to bring leavened bread. Now, if unleavened bread represents Christ, if unleavened bread, go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. If you kept your place in 1 Corinthians, keep your place, continue to keep your place there. But if you have your place in 1 Corinthians, just right before 1 Corinthians, you got the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. If unleavened cake represents Christ because leaven represents sin, then take one guess as to what leavened bread probably represents. It's you, because you're a sinner. (laughs) It's me, because I'm a sinner. See, God does not just want us to partake in the sacrifice of Christ for salvation. He also, besides, I like how it says there in Leviticus 7.13, besides the cake, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread. Are you there in Romans chapter 12? Look at verse 1. I know you know this, but let's look at it together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, your bodies, my sinful body, yeah, your leavened body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, God does not, look, look, look. Here's what we want. We want to partake of the sacrifice of Christ for salvation. But realize, when you partake of the sacrifice of Christ, God then expects you to sacrifice yourself. Now you say, well, what if I don't sacrifice myself? Well, he, he still died for your sins. Salvation is not of works. It's not fig leaves. We already talked about that. But I want you to understand, there is an expectation that besides the unleavened cakes, you are to bring leavened bread. 
And if you partake of salvation, if you partake of the fact that he laid down his life for us, that he sacrificed himself for us, then we are then to sacrifice ourselves for them. If he died for us, we should live for him. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's what the Bible says. So we see the picture, not of the unleavened bread, but of the leavened bread. The leavened sacrifice teaches us that God wants you. Say, well, I've got all these mistakes, and I've got all these flaws, and I've got all this baggage, and I've got all this sin. He said, just bring that with you. We'll work that out. Just bring that with you. We'll, we'll, we'll work that out of you. Leviticus chapter 7. Look at verse 14. Now, in verse 14, we'll start talking about things that we've already talked about, but let's just read it. Leviticus 7, 14. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for an heave offering unto the Lord, and it shall be the priest that sprinkleth the blood of the peace offering. Actually, we, didn't, we, didn't, we haven't dealt with the heave offerings yet, but we'll, we'll deal with that in a little bit. Look at verse 15. And the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. We've actually dealt with these verses already. But if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offereth his sacrifice. And on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offering... Uh, be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination. The soul that eateth of it shall bear his iniquity. Look at verse 19. And the flesh that toucheth any... Why don't you notice this word? Unclean. Is that word unclean there? And the flesh that toucheth any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burnt with fire. And as for the flesh... All that be clean shall eat thereof. So again, this idea, if it's not clean, take it out. If it's clean, bring it in. Look at verse 20. But the soul that eateth of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that pertain unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be. Why don't you notice those two words? Can we read those two words together? I know it's Wednesday night, and you're already not listening. But just, can we read these two words together? Leviticus 7.20, all right? Even that soul shall be. Let's read those two words together. Cut off. Notice what it says. Even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing, as the uncleanness of man, or any unclean beast, or any abominable unclean thing, and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering which pertain unto the Lord, even that soul shall be, can we read those two words together? Cut off from his people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Now here he's going to give a prohibition on eating fat. So sorry, you're not supposed to eat the fat right off that stake. You shall eat no manner of fat, of ox, or of sheep, or of goat. I don't like eating fat anyway, but some of you do. So, verse 24 And the fat of the beast that dieth of itself, and the fat of that which is torn with beast, may be used in any other use, but ye shall in no wise eat of it, for whosoever eateth that fat of the beast or which men offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, even the soul that eateth it shall be. Can we read those two words together? Cut off from his people. Moreover, here's another prohibition that's going to mess up your steak. You're not supposed to eat blood. Ye shall eat no manner of blood. All right? So you got to order that thing well done. 
okay? I'm just kidding, you know. We're not under the blood. Or, I mean, we're not under the law. We are under the blood. So you can eat the blood, I guess. I'm not sure. But notice what it says. You shall, not eat, you shall uh, eat no manner of blood. Although the book of Acts does tell us that they told the Gentiles not to eat blood, but that probably wasn't right either. So anyway, just medium well, all right? Then that way, we're just kind of... <laughs> We're okay. Whether it be of fowls or a beast or of any of our dwellings, notice verse 27, whatsoever soul it be that eateth any manner of the fat, even of that soul shall be, can we read those two words together? Cut off from his people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, he that offereth the sacrifice of his peace offering unto the Lord shall bring his oblation unto the Lord of the sacrifice of his peace offerings. I want you to notice that all over in, in this chapter, it uses these words, cut off from his people, cut off from his people, cut off from his people, cut off from his people. And, and you'll find that word, those two words cut off all throughout the Old Testament. We're constantly being told uh, in the Old Testament that people are cut off. And that, those two words cut off, they simply mean this, to separate from, to separate from. Some people believe that every time you see the words cut off in, script, in the Old Testament, they're talking about putting someone to death. I don't believe that. There are verses that refer to that because you can separate someone. For example, the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 53 and verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generations? For he, talking about Christ, was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. So what is it saying? That he was separated from the land of the living. So definitely there are times in the Bible when the words cut off, go, go back to, go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when the words cut off are in reference to separating someone from this world. He was cut off from the land of the living. I don't believe every time the Bible uses the words cut off, it's referring to putting someone to death. But, but here's what I do believe. Every time it talks about cutting someone off, it's talking about separating from them. You know, whether they had leprosy and they had to go be without the camp, or whether it was as a result of sin that they had to be cut off. But here's what's interesting. There is actually a New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament idea of cutting someone off from the congregation or from the people. And that New Testament equivalent is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Notice verse 2. And ye are puffed up. said, you're proud and arrogant. And I've not rather mourned. You know when people are living in sin, it ought to break our hearts. That he that hath done this deed might be, notice these two words, taken away. That's the New Testament equivalent of these two words, cut off. Notice verse 2. And you are puffed up, and I'm not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you, cut off from among the people. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ, notice verse 5, 
to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't necessarily believe that this is talking about spiritual salvation. I understand it's referring to the spirit, soul salvation and the means of heaven and hell. I think, I think this individual was saved. The Bible used the word saved and salvation in many different connotations. I think this is talking about the fact that you want to save him so that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he can actually stand at the judgment seat of Christ and not be fearful and, and um, be able to have something to show for his life and not waste his life. Notice verse 6. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? What's leaven represent? Sin. He says, don't you know that if you allow a little sin in, it'll leaven the whole lump? Notice verse 7. Purge out. What does that mean? Purge out. Here's what it means. To rid. To get rid of. To cleanse out. You know what it means? It means take away. It means cut off. Notice verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Notice verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle. Notice what he says. To take the name off the membership roll for fornicators. Is that what it says? Because today you talk to pastors and, and you'll say, hey, 1 Corinthians 5 teaches that you're not supposed to allow fornicators, people who are living in fornication into the church, right? And you know what most churches do? They'll say, oh yeah, we just remove their name from the membership role. They can keep coming to church. We just don't consider them anymore an active member. Is that what that verse says? Because I think it says in verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. It means to cut off. It means to purge out. It means to take away. It doesn't mean that we change your status on some download, you know, on our computer where you go from active member to just, you know, a tender. That's not what it's talking about. It says to remove. It says to not company with fornicators. Say, well, if I don't company with fornicators, then I'm going to have to quit my job. Okay, smart Alec, look at verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. We're not talking about unsaved people. If you got to f- separate from all the fornicators in this world, you can never go to the gas station, you can never go to the grocery store, you can never go to work. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous. By the way, it's not just fornication. It's also covetousness or extortioners or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. He says, you, if you got to separate from these people, you're going to have to go be Amish somewhere. He's like, that's not what I'm calling you to do. Notice verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, here's what he's saying. If someone has a testimony of being a saved person, you say, well, how, how do you know? And, and people often ask me, because we'll have new people come to Verity Baptist Church, you know, a first-time guest comes in and they're living in fornication. You know, people say, well, how do you deal with that? Well, I just try to follow what the Bible says. Because look, we're not going to stand at the door and ask people about their marital status. To, to you know, a, a guy and a lady come in and we ask, are you two married? You're living together. Say, well, what, 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 what do you do? Here's what we do. When, here's what I do. Because here's what you don't know. 
is that there's tons of people that come to our, our church and churches like ours that'll show up on a Sunday morning. We won't see them for three months. They'll come back on a Sunday morning. We won't see them for six weeks. They'll come back on a Sunday morning. We won't see them for six months. They'll come back on a Sunday morning. And I know them because I'm, and my wife knows them because we make sure to know people that are coming into the church. But you probably don't know them at all. You, you know, you, you'll walk up to them and say, oh, it's your first time here. And they're like, no, I've been here six times. And, you, and then you feel embarrassed. But what they're not telling you is that they've been here six times over the last three years. And that's why you don't know them. Am I worried about those people? No. So who do you worry about? When you start knowing them well enough where you start saying, hey, brother so-and-so. Hey, sister so-and-so. Is that not what it says? Look at what it says. Verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one, no, not to eat. Does it say to take them off the membership roll? No, I think it says you're not even supposed to have a meal with them. Amen. You're not supposed to go to Starbucks with them. It says, with such and one, no, not to eat. For what, I have, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without, God judges. Therefore, notice these words, put away. Let me just explain to you what that, that's the New Testament equivalent of these words. Cut off from among yourselves that wicked person. Here's what you need to understand. There is a biblical mandate, New Testament mandate, for removing certain people. There is a practice of cutting off people from the congregation in the New Testament church. It, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. Excommunication. Now, the Catholic Church has changed that term because the Catholic Church, because excommunicate, you know what excommunicate means? What does it mean to communicate? It means you're not talking to them. What does excommunicate mean? It means you're no longer talking to them. People think excommunication means you lose your salvation. That's because the Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is held within the church. So if they kick you out of church, then they take their salvation with them. Obviously, that's false teaching. That's false doctrine. Anybody can be saved. Even if you're a fornicator, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But what does it mean to excommunicate someone? It means you no longer communicate with them. It means you're not talking to them. It means you're not accompanying with them. It means you're not eating with them. And here's what I don't understand. You know, it's like people come to Verity Baptist Church and they hear me preach this for years and years and years and years and years. And it's like they think I'm up here just like playing a game or messing around. I all pastor just saying that, but he doesn't really believe that. No, I believe it. No, I will abide by it. If you are living in fornication at Verity Baptist Church, do me a favor. Leave and don't ever come back until you get it right. I will kick you out. I will cut you off. I will put you away. And I will tell our church people to not communicate with you. Because that's what the Bible says. That's what the word of God says. And if you don't like it, leave. I don't know how many times I need to explain this to people. I'm not trying to build the largest church in Sacramento. I'm not trying to be the Joel Osteen of Sacramento. The best thing that I can do for our church to continue to grow is to make sure that everybody understands. I love you, but I don't need you. There's not any one person that if they were to leave and never come back, I'd be that sad about. Pastor, I don't think you're sad. I, you need to understand that. Because people get these puffed up ideas. Well, I now have this position, so pastor's going to have to. No, no, no. Pastor will remove you from whatever position. I don't care how many people I have to cycle through that position. We'll keep removing them till we get one right. And you get puffed up and you think, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to do that. 
We're going to follow what the Bible says. I can't get up here and say, we're biblicists. We believe the Bible. We believe what the Bible says. And then when we have to actually apply the Bible, it's like, oh, well, you know. No, it's not, well, you know. It's 1 Corinthians 5. It's the word of God. It's you cut off. There is a practice in Scripture of cutting people off from the congregation. Now, what is the purpose? Why? Why even do that? Look at it. Look at it in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because here's the, here's the problem I have with these doctrines, is that I feel like there's two extremes. One extreme is these people who just act like it doesn't matter. Like you have to discipline someone out of church, and they're just like, oh, that's just pastor, you know, he's always just uptight about something. No big deal. You want to hang out at Starbucks? Sure. There's that extreme. And then there's the other extreme where, like, someone has to be disciplined out of church, and it's like, they become the enemy. They're the devil. They were the Judas Iscariot the whole time. Look, that's another extreme that we don't need to go down. Say, why? Because there's a purpose in this. What's the purpose? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 6. Look, I know you've never gone to a church that actually taught this or believed this, but welcome to Verity Baptist Church. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment. Do you see that? Pastor, why do you guys cut people off from church? As a punishment. Why do, who gives you that right? I think that's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So the contrawise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with much, notice what it says, with, up with, over much sorrow. What's the purpose of this? They should be sorrowful to punish them. That's the point. That's what the Bible says. Now, when they get it right, should we just hate them and hold it over them? No. Look, look at verse 7 again. So that contrawise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. Look, if people get the sin right and they come back and get the sin right in their life, we are to forgive them and love them and move on for God. And there's nothing wrong with that. We Don't make an enemy out of people that have to get cut off. But at the same time, don't minimize it by just acting like, ah, oh, it's just pastor, you know. He's just this radicalist. Because if, if, when you do that, you take away the fact that it's a punishment. You take a, oh, when people get excommunicated, it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be like, whoa, this is costing me a lot. Whoa, not only do I not get to go to church, I lost all my friends. I, you know, this sin is not worth. But when everybody just acts like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, it's just pastor, you know. Then you are sinning. Amen. Then you're allowing leaven. Then you're promoting it and minimizing it and not. Look, there is a practice of it in the New Testament. There is a purpose of it in, in the Bible. There's a reason why we do it. But look, when they come back, we ought to forgive. In fact, the whole point is restoration. Look at verse 9. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, if I have to do that, you know, that's going to be real awkward for me. Oh, well, I'm sorry that, you know, denying self is awkward for you. Look at verse 9. To, and, for the, and to this end. And to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you. Whether ye be obedient in all things. See, when the rubber hits the road, we get to find out who actually obeys what the Bible says. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. That's the goal. Ah, Pastor, you hate all these people. I don't hate anybody. I love them all. I just, 
God gave me a church to oversee. I can't allow sin in the church to run rampant, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And nobody, listen to me, nobody is worth keeping around to give my children an example that living in fornication is okay. You can sit there and say, oh, well, we're living together, but we're not sleeping. Nobody believes that. I sure don't believe that. And no normal person actually takes that. And, I, and we've always taught at Verity Baptist Church that we consider shacking up and living together, fornication. Any questions? Because people are, I can't believe Pastor. You can't believe Pastor what? Actually did what he said he was going to do? I just think that, uh, why don't you just quit whispering? Why don't you just quit gossiping? Why don't you just read the Bible and realize that, oh, when pastor gets up and says he's going to do something, he actually is going to do it. And realize this, no one's worth keeping around. Look, people, people get to a point where they become such a problem that it's, it's just better to have them move on. Amen. And you may be crossing that line. You say, pastor, I just think you're mean. Look, I love all of you, but I don't need any of you. Well, I need one, but, you know, we're married legally, so that's cool. Look at verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Say, Pastor, are you you upset? Look, I'm not upset with anybody. I'm upset with people who think that I get up here and I just speak and don't actually mean what I say. Please learn something. I believe what I'm saying. If I didn't, I wouldn't say it. And it would be much easier to build a church without this type of preaching. But I'm not in the church building business. Leviticus chapter 7. Look at verse 14. Let's finish the chapter. Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 14. Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 14. Notice what he says in verse 14. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for an heave offering unto the Lord, and it shall be the priest that sprinkleth the blood of the peace offering. Skip down to verse 30. His own hands shall bring the offering of the Lord made by fire, the fat with the breast. It shall he bring that the breast may be waved for a wave offering before the Lord. The Bible says that the breast of the sacrifice was given as a wave offering to be waved before the Lord, and the priest shall burn that fat upon the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his sons, and the right shoulder shall ye give unto the priest for an heave offering. So you have a breast offering, uh, a breast that was given as a wave offering, and then you have a, uh, a right shoulder that was given as a heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offering. Heave means to move in a vertical Uh, So the wave is like horizontal, heave is up and down. They were supposed to give these sacrifices and wave them before the Lord and heave them before the Lord. Notice verse 33. He among the sons of Aaron that offered the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right shoulder for his part. For the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken off the children of Israel from off the sacrifice of their peace offerings and have given them unto Aaron the priest and unto his sons by a statute forever from among the children of Israel. This is the portion of the anointing of Aaron. This is where we get into the new section about the priest and their anointing 
for the anointing of his sons out of the offering of the Lord made by fire in the day when he presented them to minister unto the Lord in the priest's office, which the Lord commanded to be given them of the children of Israel in the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the meat offering, and of the sin offering, and of the trespass offering, and of the consecrations, and of the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblation unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So that finishes up the chapter there. But I want you to notice the theme in this scripture. The theme in this chapter is this, that when you put on Christ, you represent Jesus. And you know that in this world, you and I represent Christ. And because we are the holy tabernacle that represents the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, we are supposed to live a holy life. You say, Pastor Jimenez, what's your goal for Verity Baptist Church? Is it to have the biggest church in in the world? No, I don't think we're going to make it either way. You know what I want? I want to have a church filled with people that are not perfect but actually love the Lord. And when they see something in Scripture, they're like, wow, that's what the Bible says. I need to conform myself to that. That's what we need. That's what you need, and that's what I need. And when we administer church discipline for certain things or whatever, look, it's not because we hate people, we love people. We want to restore people, but it doesn't help when others minimize that. And when they make little of it. Because the Bible doesn't say take their name off a membership role. It says not to eat with them. It says not to company with them. And this is the proof of what those who actually obey the Bible. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you would help our church to be a church that is always interested in following you. Lord, help us to love people. Help us to be loyal to people, but not to the extent that we are more loyal to people than we are to the word of God. And Lord, when we preach things here, when we take certain stands, help us, Lord, to be able to discern that. If it's holy, if it's right, then bring it in. And if it's not, then take it out. And Lord, I just pray at the very least that our church people would know that when their pastor stands up and preaches certain things, it's because he actually believes it. And whether they believe it or not, that's between them and God. Father, I pray that you would help us to have a church here. To the best of our ability, that would be clean and pure. Lord, I, I, I look at these children... And my burden is that these children see men who love their wives and sacrifice for them. Wives who love their husbands and submit themselves. Lord, I I pray that they would come to Verity Baptist Church and they would see people that are sold out, people that love the Lord, people that actually believe what they say, Lord, and that that they would grow up to just believe, wow, that's what the Bible says, that's what we need to do. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.